Because father says you can and you say you can't. And circumstances, especially our eyes and what we're hearing, the words of people, the things people say, and then what we see or don't see have a tendency to convince us and overrule what Father has said, if we allow it. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is how faith works. You don't see it, but you believe it anyway. And in the midst of not seeing, you got to deal with the voices and the doubt and the things that the enemy throw at us to say it ain't going to happen. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you hear it ain't going to happen long enough and you don't see it happening, guess what? <laughs> you become a believer of another report. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Israel cared for all of his family. However, his selection of how he aligned them in preparation to meet Esau showed his preferences toward them. Remember, Israel was afraid of Esau. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Israel planned for the worst and expected the worst-case scenario. He expected Esau to attack him and exact revenge on him, possibly even kill some of his family. Esau did not attack Israel. Instead, Esau embraced Israel, wept with him, and offered him protection. Today's study title is Israel, Esau, and Grace. So, let's study. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off. Last week, we were in Genesis chapter 32. We know that Jacob had, or Israel, uh, his name had been changed from Jacob to Israel. And what we're going to do here in these passages where the translator continues to use the name Jacob, we're going to put this forward slash and Israel again so that we can become accustomed that there is as we've said several times, there's the man. The first mention of Israel was associated with a name change of a man. That man's name was Jacob. He is the first Israel. Today, when people hear Israel, they think of a land. They don't think of a man. They don't think of an individual whose name was changed to Israel. In fact, before there was a land of Israel, There was a man, Israel. Before there was a land, Israel, there were 12 tribes or 12 sons of Israel. And so we cannot cast out the 12 sons of Israel and the man named Israel and replace it with the land of Israel as if it's the only Israel. And so we're going to point out that throughout this teaching and hopefully as we go forward Uh, We will acknowledge Israel when we see Jacob because he was no longer Jacob once father changed his name to Israel. In fact, when we get to the 35th chapter, we're going to see that father reminds him, you see. And so there are lessons here that we're going to pick up and I'll point those out. 
And so as Israel lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau came and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, in other words, in front, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph in the hindermost or at the very back. And then he went over before them. So he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And what we need to see here is that, you know, even though he put them in that order, Israel cared for all of his family. However, his selection of how he aligned them in preparation to meet Esau showed his preferences toward them. And so we also have to remember that Israel was afraid of Esau. And this is something that I find to be quite amazing is that how we can have a healthy fear of Jehovah and still seem to have a fear of men. Father has not given us a spirit of fear. But here's the thing, folks. We are constantly challenged by our emotions. We're challenged by what we see and what we hear. And the challenge we have to come to grips with is just as we are influenced by what we see with our natural and what we hear with our natural, then we need to now begin to see the word even with our natural and hear the word with our natural because the word which is natural is also supernatural. The more we see it, the more we read it, the more we hear it, hopefully it will help us to overcome the natural fears because we have to be honest with ourselves, even though Father hasn't given us the spirit of fear, we have to recognize that fear still tries to operate in our lives. It tries to convince us that what Father has said ain't going to happen. It tries to convince us that what we're believing Father for ain't going to happen. <laughs> and it's easy to believe what we see or what we don't see, <laughs> even though the Bible tells us that fathers speak those things that are not as though they were, and he encourages us to do likewise, you see. And so it's so important for us to take on not only the mind of Messiah, but we got to see through the eyes of faith, the eyes of Elohim. and so. Israel was afraid of Esau, and he acknowledged that. In verse 7 says, Then Jacob, or Israel, was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. This is going back to chapter 32. And said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And here's what we got to deal with. See, Jacob or Israel, he was Jacob at the time, had a plan. He had the plan, and his plan is that, okay, here's what we're going to do. Now, if you go back and look, he developed this plan before he inquired of Jehovah. There are times when we make plans before we inquire of the Almighty. 
we make these plans before we inquire of the Almighty, and then we want to hold the Almighty to our plan, you see. And so Jacob makes these plans and he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to split my group up into two. Now there's one group, but now he's, he's calling them two. And remember when he prayed, he says, you know, when I came over this Jordan, I was just, all I had was a staff. Now I got two bands. How did you get two bands? Because you divided them up into two bands. They were one before you divided them up into two. And they're two now because you are afraid of your brother. And last week we looked at the last thing Esau remembered or Jacob remembered when he left was that his mama wanted him to get out of there because his brother had vowed to kill him when his daddy died. And then we realized that even now Isaac is still alive. He ain't dead yet. Israel acknowledged his fear to Jehovah. In verse 11 of chapter 32, he says, deliver me, I pray thee from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. So Jacob was operating out of fear, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. So he saw his brother as this vicious, evil monster that has such a hatred toward him that he would kill the women and he would kill the children. This is what fear did. Fear, in his mind, painted a picture of Esau that was a terrible, murderous, uncaring, unloving, unforgiving individual. Israel had a mindset of where he expected the worst. And so he planned for the worst and expected the worst case scenario. He expected his father to curse him, remember? When his mother gave him the instructions on what to do, he says, well, father's going to know this and he's going to do what? He's going to curse me. The mother had to assure Jacob at the time that your father, whatever curse he puts on you, let it be on me. But did his father curse him? No. Even after he learned what he had done, he didn't curse him. Esau came in crying and weeping, begging don't you have a blessing for me? And he says, Jacob has got the blessing. <laughs> and he didn't curse Jacob when he realized that Jacob had done what he did. But Jacob expected that. He expected Laban to harm him. Laban didn't harm him. Remember, Laban pursued him for seven days with the intent, it seems, to harm him. But when Laban caught up with him, he not only did not harm him, but he ended up making a covenant with him. Why? Because father told him, you don't even say the wrong thing to Jacob. And here's the behind the scenes issue, folks. When we walk with the almighty and our ways please him, guess what he said he would do? He would make our enemies at peace with us. And we see this occurring in Israel's life. He expected Esau to attack him and exact revenge on him, possibly even kill some of his family. But Esau did not attack him. Instead, he embraced him, wept with him, and offered him protection. So in all of these case scenarios, Jacob expected the worst. 
And in none of these cases did his expectation come to pass. We can plan for the worst, but we should always expect the best because of whom we belong to and whom we serve. As I was reading this, you know, it just reminded me of dealing with the spirit of fear. For a long time, I dealt with the spirit of fear. And when I thought I'd overcome the spirit of fear, I still saw that spirit of fear manifesting itself in the fear of men. There's a point in our lives, brothers and sisters, where we convince ourselves for whatever reason that we are inferior, that there are people who are better than us, greater than us, even more worthy than us. We see these examples throughout the Bible. Even when father called Moses, Moses, you know, even though Moses had operated in a level of importance in the house of Pharaoh, he saw himself as inadequate because of his own flaws. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When father called us, he see our flaws. He see our weaknesses. He see our inadequacies. He see that we're not capable of fulfilling what he is calling us to, but he is more than capable to equip us to grow into. And this is what he's, he's doing with us is he's equipping us to grow into the calling that he is calling us with. This is why when Yeshua chose these men, he knew Peter had some issues. He knew Thomas had some doubt issues. He knew Judas was a son of perdition. He knew all of these character flaws of these individuals that he called. But by getting them to walk with him, to learn from him, to listen to what he was saying, to apply what he was saying, giving them opportunity to demonstrate the application that he had given them, Through this process, he was equipping them to grow into what he was calling them to become. This is what becoming the sons of Elohim is. To them, according to John, those who received him, to those who believed on his name, to them he gave the power to become the children of Jehovah. And this is where we are today. We're in that becoming state. And in the process of becoming, we confront the issues within us that is unbecoming. (laughs) And part of that unbecoming in this, that unbecoming in us is fear. Because father says you can and you say you can't. And circumstances, especially our eyes and what we're hearing, the words of people, the things people say. And then what we see or don't see have a tendency to convince us and overrule what Father has said, if we allow it. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. This is how faith works. You don't see it, but you believe it anyway. And in the midst of not seeing, you got to deal with the voices and the doubt and the things that the enemy throw at us to say it ain't going to happen. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you hear it ain't going to happen long enough and you don't see it happening, guess what? 
<laughs> you become a believer of another report. Father had been with Israel from the womb. He explained to his mama, said, listen, you got two people in your womb. And the younger is going to rule. And so he told his mother about him before he was born. And through from the time he was conceived, even up until this point we're in, in Genesis that chapter 33, father had been with Jacob, Israel, and Israel is going to acknowledge it throughout his conversation with his brother. And so, as I was saying, I had to be delivered from expecting the worst to happen. I don't know why I had a constant expectation for the bottom to fall out or for something bad to happen. It's like, okay, that was kind of like my life prior to coming into Messiah. You know, there was this old expression, people take one step forward and two steps back. It seemed like things are going well, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, things go bad. And this mindset I brought with me. And so it seems as if I kept expecting something bad to happen. And so I identify with Israel here because I see what I had a lot in common. In Genesis 32, 28, he says, Father, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince has our power with Elohim and with men and has prevailed. And so in changing him, what father does is he assures us that he is with us. And we need to come to grips with that. When father changed Jacob's name to Israel, it embodied the struggle Jacob lived with when he changed his name. Now the Bible tells us that all of us is going to be given a new name. In the meantime, we now have to understand and something that's greater then the name that we will be given is the identity we've already been given because we've been given the identity of the one whose name is, there is no greater name than the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. And we've been given his identity. Our identity now is hid in him. We've got the ability to do the works he did. We've got the ability to think the thoughts of Elohim because we've been given the mind of Messiah. And so until we get that new name and you can change your name all you want to, Father don't have to honor your name change. He says, well, I'll tell you, to, you know, I've seen people, they've changed their name two or three times. It's like, okay, you could take on a Hebrew name. You can take on whatever name you, you feel you need to take on, but Father is going to give us all a new name. But in the meantime, we are to take on the name that is greater than any other name. And that doesn't mean that I'm to be called Yeshua. No, that means that I'm to take on the nature and the character. That means that I can do the work. That means that he's enabled me and empowered me to demonstrate and to be his ambassador in the earth. So who do I represent? I represent him, the greatest man that ever walked the earth. Also embodied in that name, Israel, was Jehovah prevailed. And so if you look at the name, it says Israel equal Elohim prevails, the second name for Jacob given to him by Elohim after his wrestling 
with the angel at Penuel. Back to Genesis 33 and verse four, and Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Now, all of this terribleness that Israel was expecting, what he got was unexpected. Esau was overjoyed to see his brother after all those years. Whatever Esau felt toward Israel in the past had been healed by Jehovah. Esau's feelings toward Israel had changed. Just as father had changed Jacob's name to Israel, it also appears he had changed Israel or Esau's heart. When we embrace the change that father has given us, has made available to us to operate in, is going to affect how people deal with us. As long as you operate in that old man, people are going to always deal with that old man. They'll deal with you like the old man. But when you take on the new man, they don't know how to respond to that. They're going to have to make some adjustments. And you don't allow them to pull that old man or to conjure that old man back up. You put that old man to rest. You put him to death. You have his funeral. You write out his eulogy. You eulogize him, bury him. And then now your job is to keep him buried because he'll try to resurrect. He will, if he, if he wanted to take off the grave clothes. <laughs> and the devil come along and say, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Arthur, I know you in there. Come out. <laughs> and you got to resist the devil because he'll call you. He'll call you just like you over know your name. The devil know your name. He, he know who you used to be. And it always amazes me. You, you know, you see some of these folks and they want to go back. They want to take you back in the middle. You remember when we used to, it's like, you know what? I don't even want to have that conversation because that guy is dead. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll let them conjure that old man up. You know, you will. I'm telling you. You get the right people or the wrong people, you'll be back in the memory lane. And next thing you know, you want to do it, do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> Genesis 33, verse 5. And so he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which Elohim has graciously given thy servant. So he called Esau Lord, and he referred to himself as Esau's servant. Why? Because he was trying to find grace. And in the gift goes before you, he sent these gifts for the purpose of finding grace with Esau. Israel continuously acknowledged that all he was given to, that all he had was given to him by Jehovah. In verse six, then the handmaids came near and they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Now I want to, just point some things out here because there is some progression that by the time you get to the Torah, we know that Abraham bowed, he bowed to Abimelech. We know that Isaac bowed and and here we see Israel bowing and we see his wives bowing and the children bowing. And there comes a point when father says, okay, there's not going to be no more bowing. You're not going to be bowing to men no more. You're not going to be bowing to images anymore. You're not going to be bowing to idolatry. 
You shall not bow yourself. But remember now, from Adam to Moses, there were things, as the New Testament writer puts it, that Father winked at. He permitted, he allowed. But there came a point to where when Moses came, death now is being confronted because Paul writes that from Adam to Moses, death reigned even unto those who had not sinned after the similitude of Adam. And so the law exposed the works of sin and made individuals aware of how sin was in operation and gave them the alternative to stop doing the things that permitted death to come at them. And this is where the law comes in. The law is, or violating the law is sin. The wages of sin is death. By not violating the law, you're not giving place to sin, and therefore you're stopping death in those areas in your life. So they're all bowing. Esau wanted to know why Israel sent all the droves, even though, remember, when he sent those servants, he said, explain to Esau, this is why I'm doing this. Explain to Esau, this is your gift. Explain to Esau. And now Esau is asking him why he did it, even though Esau knew based on what the servants had said, and it was all done to find grace in the sight of Esau. In verse 8, and he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And that word grace there, favor, grace, charm, elegance, is the word that is translated over into the New Testament as grace, which could be charis or gifts, favor. It's the same word used for Noah who found grace in Jehovah's eyes. But Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. And I'm pointing out and called this title Israel, Esau, and Grace because grace is always been, it's an intimate part of the Old Testament or Tanakh. It has been from the beginning. The Bible tells us in John 1 that grace and truth came through Yeshua. Now the question is, is that Yeshua was with Elohim from the beginning. So if grace and truth came with Yeshua and Yeshua was with Elohim from the beginning, then grace and truth was from the beginning. What did the people have before Yeshua? Did they have all lies? Did Father give them lies? Or did he give them his word that came straight from the mouth of Elohim? And this is the thing that we have to remind people that what Moses wrote, Moses didn't conjure up. Moses wrote what he was instructed to write. The commandments were spoken to Moses By the mouth of Elohim, Moses wrote those commandments and presented them to Israel. Father says, say this to Israel. Father said, say that to Israel. Father said, tell Israel this. Father said, tell Israel that. So what Moses told Israel is what Father told Moses to tell Israel. And Israel reminded the people that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Almighty. And then Yeshua quoted Moses. Verse 9, and Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep that thou Passed unto thyself. Israel insisted that now if he has found grace with Esau, that he take his gifts, 
that brought his grace. Verse 10, and Israel said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of Elohim, and thou wast pleased with me. Now, this is an interesting statement because remember, Jacob saw father's face. Israel compared seeing Esau's face as seeing the face of Elohim. In Genesis 32, 30, and Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, for I've seen Elohim face to face and my life is preserved. So he had wrestled with him and he said, I've seen him face to face and looking upon Esau reminded him of seeing the face of Elohim. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee because Elohim has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough, and he urged him, and he took it. And this, this really, you know, it begs the question within me. Israel acknowledged that Jehovah had dealt graciously with him, but still seemed to expect the worst from Esau, even though Father had sent him back to his homeland. Why is it that we can see the hand of Jehovah and his blessings in our lives and not see him with us in times of trouble and distress? Why do we go back to that place when we're in trouble? Somebody has to remind us, you know, father's with you. Well, he doesn't feel like when you're in trouble, it seems like you're by yourself. When you're going through, you seem like you're by yourself. And it, it seems like people try to comfort us in that. And we refuse to be comforted. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But right now, no, 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 no. Why is it that we know he blesses us, but feel we must fight our own battles? Because this is what happens when we refuse to be comforted. It's like we got to go through this process for whatever reason. We got to, we just got to see this thing through. And while at the same time we're going through that is being totally unaware that father is right there with us, wanting to comfort us and dry our tears. And we keep crying. Why do we confess he's with us and that he is our provider, protector, and strength, but feel alone in our struggles as if he is not there while confessing he's with us always? It's like we say we know he's there, but we don't acknowledge him being there because we still insist on going through and feeling what we're feeling and crying and grieving and mourning and rejecting the comfort and the words of comfort and the encouragement and the consoling of others. Why do we do that to ourselves? That's that human nature that continues to try to operate. That's the old man resurrected is what it is. Because a new man will embrace the fact that, okay, Father, I know you're here with me. I know going through this is, is not going to change anything, but it seems for whatever reason, you know, I, I just need to go through this process and, and just, just see this process through. And if you just give me a moment, because that, that's basically what we, <laughs> just give me a moment, you know, I'll be with you, I'll be with you after a while. Father has proven to many of us over and over again that he has been with us. But it seems every struggle or problem take us back to the mindset of feeling alone in our struggle 
and trouble. And what I've learned to do is I don't have a problem feeling what I feel. I just feel that feeling and choose not to express what I feel with words. Because here's what I know. If I'm going to speak, I'm not going to speak what I feel. I'm going to speak what I want. See, what I'm feeling is not what I want to feel. And if I speak what I feel, I'm not speaking what I want. I'm coming in agreement and using my words to express what I feel, which may be contrary to the very thing that I want. And once I release those words of what I'm feeling, it war against the very thing that I want. So there's a struggle that is going on and I just choose to keep the struggle inside and not release the struggle to compete outside of me because once I release those words of the struggle that I'm feeling, it gives ammunition to the enemy to work against me. See, I realize my words have power. And here's something that when I see my wife struggling, if she's struggling, because I know my wife is very connected to our children. If our children go through stuff, it affects her. And I see that. And so I've learned to not ask certain questions so that she don't have to express because I don't want her putting words out there and I'm not going to be the vehicle to cause her to speak those words. As you become one, what you try to do is, okay, I know now is a time I just need to pray silently for her. Maybe I just need to hold her, not say a word, just hold her, just touch her, just give her an affirmative look. And if she wants to speak, just be an ear, not speak, not say anything. If anything, using words to cause a reflection on him and not on, on the situation. And this is where, you know, we really have to exercise wisdom because the enemy can use us to get other people to speak things that they may not want to speak because they know that this is not the things they should be saying. It's only expressing the emotion of how they feel at the moment. So I'm very, very careful about the choice of words because I know that words can create. Father created everything we know from words. And, you know, that old adage, sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt. We need to get that statement out of our system because words create. You can speak things into being that doesn't exist. That's if you got the faith. If you got the faith, you can say to this mountain, what you can say to this mountain, what you can say to, to this mountain. You can speak to circumstances with your words if you got faith, but just as you can speak circumstances to your word in faith, you can speak to circumstances out of your emotions and cause things to come to pass that is contrary to the very things that you want. Why? Because you're creative. And I'm not talking about creative and artistic in the sense of some worldly secular ideology. I'm talking about the fact that we've been made in the image of the Almighty. You could speak things into being. 
That's why we keep confessing and making declarations of the things that we desire for Father to do and stop speaking negative over your life. Stop speaking doom and gloom. Stop speaking death and destruction. You ain't broke. I ain't got no money. You know, I'm sick. It's like, wait a minute. If that's how you feel, keep your feelings, keep your feelings to yourself. Don't speak, I'm sick. If somebody asks you how you're doing, I'm well. Well, you don't look well, you look sick. You sick? I said I'm well. Well, if you, you don't look well to me, bruh. See, and, and they just want to keep engaging the conversation so that you can affirm what they see. Okay? Then maybe you need to perk up. Maybe you need to change your demeanor. Maybe you need to stay out of the visibility of other people. Maybe while you're going through this, you just need to go in your closet and close the door and don't let folks look at you. I don't know what it is you need to do, but one thing I do need know is that you need to shut the conversation down. Don't speak things that you're not in agreement with or want to come to pass in your life. You speak those things that you desire. You speak those things that he has said. Come in agreement with him, not your feelings. Esau offered Israel an escort, but Israel refused, using the young as an excuse. Verse 12, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, my Lord, knoweth that the children are tender and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. And so Israel gives the impression he's going to follow at the pace of the young and meet Esau in Seir. Verse 14, let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant and I will lead on softly according as the cattle that go before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. Israel said he would meet Esau in Seir, but did not say when. Esau offers to leave men with Esau, with Israel, but Israel indicated that he did not need the men. It seems that Israel did not believe Esau's intentions were good, not God, were good toward him, although Esau gave Israel no reason to believe his intentions were not pure. You know how you can make up your mind about a person and no matter what they say, your mind is already made up. You've already prejudged them. You're convinced that's who they are. And Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, what needeth it? I don't, in other words, I don't need them. Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. In other words, leave me alone, bruh. I'm good. I made it this far. And, you know, it's, the question is still not answered. That's why Esau had to bring so many men. But we don't know the territory. We don't know the terrain. We don't know what was going on during that time. We know that there's been bandits and people who, you know, just had the wrong motives. So Esau is bringing all of his armed men, not knowing what he's going to face. And now he wants to leave some of them with Israel. Instead of going to Seir, though, Israel goes to Sukkot. And here is a little map. You see up in the upper right, there's the Padam Aram. That's where Israel is coming from. And then down below there, you'll see Sukkot and then Ma'anim. Ma'anim in Genesis chapter 32, remember when Esau said, this is the camp of Elohim. 
And he called that place Mani, two camps. Because he'd met him in Bethel, and now he's in Manim, and he says this is his camp. And so obviously he's got two camps. And so he says he's going to meet Esau in Seir, which is at the very bottom with the red, where I've got Esau goes to Seir, and then the arrow pointing over to Shechem, or the land of Shechem. And so Israel goes first to Sukkot, and then he's going to build a house, and then he's going to build a, a shelter for his animals, and then he's going to go over to Shalim. Verse 17, and Jacob, or Israel, journeyed to Sukkot and built him a house, and then made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is Sukkot. So he was there for a while to build a house. Israel stayed, went to um, Sukkot, built a house, and later came to Shalim. Now, Shalim is the same as Salem, and Salem is the place where Melchizedek was king in the day of Abraham. In Genesis 14, 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. So he was a priest, and he was a king, the first biblical king-priest of the Most High. And that word Shalim is Salem, meaning peace, the place of which Melchizedek was king. And and most Jewish commentaries affirm that this is the same as Jerusalem. And so Israel came to Shalim, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Panam Aram and pitched his tent before the city. And then he bought land in the city of Shalim or Salem for a hundred pieces of silver, Genesis 33, 19. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamer, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money or a hundred pieces of silver. And he erected there an altar and he called it El Eloi Israel. And El Eloi Israel means the mighty Elohim of Israel. The name given to an altar, a location by And see here, even the commentary says, it's the name given to an altar by Jacob. See, our minds are shaped by the things that we read. And El Eloi Yisrael is the mighty Elohim of Israel, not the land of Israel, not the people of Israel, but the Israel that Elohim changed his name from Jacob. And as I mentioned last week, there are people still to this day who, when they pray, they pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Because the mind has already rejected Israel the man and replaced Israel the man with Israel the land. So if people say, do you love Israel? It's like, okay, what do you mean? Do I love Israel? Do I love the Jewish people? You didn't say, do you love the Jewish people? But people connect Israel, the land, with the Jewish people. Do you love Israel? What do you mean, do I love Israel? Explain what you mean. What Israel are you talking about? And there are those who put up this facade, and behind the facade is all of this stuff that one come in agreement with without realizing what it is that they're coming in agreement with. And we want to make things simple and clear so you know exactly 
what you're coming in agreement with and what is written. Amen. Well, that's the last verse in Genesis chapter 13. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 33. And Father willing, we will go into Genesis chapter 34. Now, Israel makes a decision here that is going to cost him later. And we'll look into that as we get into chapter 34. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>